Binge the full week of The Ray Taylor Show ad-free over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. This is The Ray Severance, Season 1, Episode 6, Hide and Seek, is the episode I will be breaking down, talking about, discussing in this episode. If you have not watched this episode of Severance, I would highly recommend you check it out before listening, because I will be spoiling. With that said, let's get into it, shall we? This episode opens with Selvig. We see Selvig making a little necklace. We see what's on that necklace. The pendant of that necklace is the one and only chip that was implanted into Petey's head. Uh, She gets a call from Grainer. Grainer confirming he found out the person who was responsible for Petey's reintegration. Uh, We're given a name. Uh, Ragabi uh, was was the one who was part of it and was somebody who was part of Severance. Surprise, surprise, as I mentioned in a previous episode, uh, that it had to be either somebody, it had to be somebody either currently or formally working for Severance in some capacity to be able to reverse, in any way reverse, uh, the effects of being severed. Uh, we then see Selvig... Uh, kneel down in front of what is a shrine to Kier Egan uh, with little pictures and notes and things uh, all around, candles lit. Uh, we see a picture of a young girl, I assume to be uh, Selvig herself, standing in front of an all-girls school uh, that it was named after uh, Myrtle Egan. Or it was Myrtle Egan's school uh, for girls, uh, which I would assume that is where Harmony came from. That's how she was initially indoctrinated into being uh, the person she is. Uh, And to further show how indoctrinated she is into the religion of the Egan, uh, she does a little prayer. Uh, She says a little prayer to her shrine to Kier. Cut to... Uh, we have Mark going down into his basement, rubbaging through that box, looking for the phone, for Petey's phone that keeps ringing. Uh, we see Mark on his way to work, uh, take the battery out of the phone and throw the battery and the phone into his trash can that's sitting by the edge of the road on his way to work. Cut now to work inside Sever, inside the uh, inside Lumen, I should say. Uh, we have Bert and Irving going into this room, this new room that's just like, it's like an office room, but it's full of plants. Full of plants, so it almost looks like a little forest type of a situation, but like set inside of the plain, walled, uh, neon-lit room that would be provided by the office space that is Lumen. Uh, so kind of an, an interesting contrast uh, of looks, but it is a place where both Irving and Bert can get away, their private little space to get away from the, the many people that we now know are part of the O&D department, uh, but also to get away from the few people that are part of the MDR uh, repor- department as well. They hold hands, and Bert wants to kiss wants to give Irving a kiss. He wants to take this little love, this little relationship, this connection a little bit further. And of course, Irving, always by the book, 
a stickler for rules, uh, says that it's not permitted. Bert, being the, the more senior of the two, the guy that prefers to use the, the older version of Keir Egan's text, uh, the older versions of the handbook, uh, says that uh, it, it, it is okay for them to do and that he wants to kiss him. Uh, but, Bert, er, but Irving is not ready. Bert is not ready. Uh, Bert asks him to stay, uh, but Irving, Irving ends up leaving. Uh, so kind of still, like, I love this little love affair that these two have, Bert and Ernie, Irv and Bert. Their, their little, little inter-office love that is breaking all the rules. Somebody like Irving, who is a stickler for the rules, and knows that at least in the, the current interpretation of the handbook, the current interpretation of their Bible, their religion, uh, that uh, it's not allowed for anybody to be in any kind of relationship. Uh, whereas, you know, Bert is, is more of a traditionalist with the older interpretations, which are definitely more, definitely more open-ended as far as his interpretations. Uh, or as far as what the handbook used to say. Uh, cut to, uh, we have uh, Devin, Mark's sister, going to a park with her new new baby. And she runs into th her neighbor from the birthing, uh, birthing retreat where she got the coffee from. And uh, there's no recognition. She, like, waves to her. She, you know, the other lady kind of looks up and just doesn't, doesn't, really respond so Devin goes down to say hi uh say hi to her uh her her newborn William or at least she thought the name of the new child would be William but she's corrected uh that the the baby's Bradley instead uh which is just a very interesting very weird situation you have like they she doesn't seem like she recognizes Devin at all the name is different for it almost feels like Devin is mistaken that she she she's she thought that that was the same person obviously it's the same person just there's a situation where this per this lady this other lady doesn't remember Devin and even the name of the child has changed so since we're in a world we're in a reality where a technology exists that allows people to create a secondary version of themselves, right? Which we've seen already in Lumen, where when you're in any, it's a different existence that is complete hell on earth, where you are forever awake at work, and then your Audi gets to not even exist in that. Maybe... To explain this weird situation, this other lady used that technology to not experience childbirth or maybe pregnancy as a whole. Maybe this technology is used by other people in other ways to not have to deal with traumatic or stressful situations. Which, if that's true, then somewhere there are people that have kids that use this. 
where they have a version of themselves, especially if they have multiple kids like this woman, this is their third kid. If this is true, and they've been using this technology for the kids, then there's a version of herself that has only known pregnancy and birth and childbirth, which is another ver version of hell, right? Like there's one version of hell where you are always awake at work for eternity. And then there's another, another version of hell where, like in so many ways, this severance technology it creates hell on earth. Because if you're only going to use it for the horrible moments in life, then that version of yourself is only going to be experiencing the, the, those wor horrible moments. That is going to be their only reality. So for this woman, if that's true, it's just my hypothesis, it's just my assumption, my, my seeing we're in this world, there's this technology. You know, you have a technology like this. What are the many applications you can use this technology for? Uh, and considering she doesn't recognize Devin, considering that the kid's name is different, which, you know, who knows? Maybe the, that version of her wanted to name the kid William, and then the Audi version of her wanted to name it Bradley, and obviously the Audi is the, the, the primary version. Anyway, I don't know. That's just my assumption. Cut to we have Mark again in the bathroom inside Lumen, again reading Rickon's book. Uh, this time he's reading about camaraderie. Which I love Rickon's book because in the world of the innie, in the world of Mark, or any of the innies, they have only, the only form of literature, literature they have ever experienced is the handbook, right? The, the Bible, which is Lumen, right? The religion of Lumen, the Egan philosophy, the Egan experience of existence, the Egan religion through the handbook which has been different versions of the handbook, as we've seen where Bert has quoted older versions of the handbook versus Irving doing the quoting of the newer versions of the handbook. But that is all they have. So now that they have this secondary thing, this contradictory, in some ways contradictory uh, philosophy, this contradictory book, uh, it, it's, it's like so valuable but also adds comedy because Rickon's writing is ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's clearly like anti-establishment stuff, but it's like written by somebody who's not a very good writer. Like, written by somebody that's firmly and squarely directly up their own ass with their thoughts and ideas. Uh, but for Mark, it is his, it is his new... It is the thing that is opening his mind. And he's reading this, this uh, part about camaraderie, uh, and it's just so ridiculous. Cut to now Irving. They're all in the, their little kitchen area, all the innies. And Irving wants to go back to O&D, uh, wants to unite the departments uh, as Keir intended, you know, Irving. Irving only, only willing to do the things that are allowed for him to do via the words of Kier, via the handbook. And the idea of Kier wanting to unite 
the the different u- departments uh, is is his excuse for wanting to spend so much time around Bert, wanting to go back. And plus, they in the last episode there was the new the introduction that Irving and Dylan had to the whole entire back room of O and D of all the people back there that are working making stuff. So Dylan and Irving are filling in Mark and Helly on this uh, back room. And uh, they're talking about they were making clubs and, like, the theories going around. You know, maybe the clubs were used to beat the, the baby goats. That So everybody's catching each other up on what happened in the last episode. You know, Mark and Hallie telling them about these baby goats that they found, and then Irving and Dylan finding, you know, the back room where they were making clubs. And Dylan, who's got the, the creative brain in the group, is like, well, maybe they're, maybe they're using the clubs to beat the baby goats. Maybe. Irving, of course, uh, you know, when Hallie and Mark are talking about recreating Petey's map, Irving, despite wanting to use the words of Kier to reunite or unite the departments, uh, is against mapping. Helly trying to, uh, you know, bond with Mark a bit, asks him if, you know, like maybe we should go on another mental health walk. You know, it's, it's what he called. Let's go, let's go on another, let's go on another thing. And, uh, you know, there's a little bonding there. Mark smiles, laughs. He's like, oh, I see what you're doing. Like, finally, finally, she's opening up, right? Finally, it seems like she's turned a corner, and she's not trying, just obsessed with getting out of there. She realizes that, obviously, even trying to kill herself wasn't effective at getting out of that place. Uh, And she probably also saw just how Mark was trying to connect with her, trying to get past the corporate facade of the buddy-buddiness, the fake mark that existed, and that he was authentically trying to get to know her, to bond with her. And she sees that that's finally paying off. And Helly's like, we need to get back to work. And as she leaves the little kitchen, she says, praise Egan. So it's like, or praise Kier. So she's, she's like, at least expressing humor instead of, complete another utter anguish now of course miss casey isn't there just breathing over her neck so she's got a little bit more freedom she got to go on this walk with mark uh got to just find out some craziness they have this other objective of trying to find out what you know mapping the the building and find out what they're doing there trying to answer that question so a little bit more levity from her Dylan sees this, and Dylan's got the look on his face like, "What? there's something going on here. What is going on? Are you two, like, first, it's Bert and Irving who are fraternizing, which Dylan doesn't approve of because of his distrust of O&D, or at least his previous distrust of O&D. It seems like that has changed since he got to meet them, since he was introduced in the previous episode as a friend of Bert's. But now it seems as though Helly and and Mark are are definitely have a bond. Mark is showing the smile a bit more, which 
Irving even notices that Mark is smiling a bit more, that that's a very rare occurrence, especially in recent weeks, I'm, I'm sure, since Petey left. But just as they're doing that, Milchick walks in, and they're kind of, you know, asking what, he's asking what they're doing, and they're stumbling to come up with an excuse. And, uh, you know, they, they stumble upon, oh, they were talking about Miss Casey. And then they realize that Miss Casey isn't around, and they're like, wait, where is Miss Casey? And now a quick word from our sponsor. Now you can wear The Many Faces, original art by Ray Taylor. Select pieces from the ongoing series of abstract ink paintings. All products made with high quality materials, made right here in the USA. Go to inspireddisorder.com slash tmfmerch to browse the entire collection and save yourself an extra 10% when you check out by using coupon code RTS. TMF. So once again, go to inspireddisorder.com slash TMF merch and save 10% when you use coupon code RTSTMF. And now back to our show. Cut to Cobell in her office with Mark. We find out that Miss Casey is a part-time innie. And despite being a part-time innie, or because of her being a, a part-time innie, she doesn't have the uh so she hasn't been socialized the same way as everybody else which is interesting that she's considered a part-time any so there's potentially people according to pd that are full-time innies full full-time like 24 7 innies then there are people which i guess are the full-time innies which are people like mark and heli and irving and Bur and bert and uh dylan who are there for like eight hours right I, I guess those would be the full-timers. And then there are part-time, which Miss Casey is a part-time. And maybe that's why Miss Casey is so robotic. Definitely seems far more robotic. Far, but that even still, like even when Heli first started, she didn't f seem as robotic as Miss Casey. But she is referred to as a part-time any. So who knows? Maybe she's only there. She's only you know in the the any four moments of wellness checks and maybe she was being used even more than just those sparse moments and maybe that was the test maybe that was cobell testing out miss casey being an any for longer following heli So Cobell's yelling at Mark, telling her it's a part-time any, not a socialized, tells her that she's in the break room, which I'm sure they could have guessed if they had thought. I just don't think they realized that she was even gone because she's rarely around anyway, but, you know, she got taken to the break room. And Mark, in Mark fashion... Is like, why didn't you, why am, why am I not in the break room? Another time in which Mark is willing to sacrifice himself and go to the break room despite the person responsible going to the break room. Like when Heli initially tried to smuggle a message out, Mark tried to, uh, Mark went to the break room for her and he's, you know, was willing to go 
for Miss Casey. It was his fault. He took Heli out of the department to go on their walk. He's trying. He's like, Mark's trying to be what managers should be. They should be taking responsibility for their actions. In a lot of ways, he's he's becoming that that what you know instead of most managers and most businesses who prefer to pass the buck who don't take responsibility for their actions um and cobell shows mark the surveillance video of her and heli him and heli uh walking through one of the other office spaces where all the desks were like covered in sheets and he's like what were you two doing she's not buying mark's excuse that they were just on a, a mental health walk and Mark asks, well, what is my responsibility then? Like he, his, his excuse was she tried to kill herself and he wanted to go on a walk to see how she's doing. And, and Cobell's like, no, that's not your job. So Mark asking, what is my job? Let's play the clip. She almost died. It's not your job to play nursemaid to every new refiner. Okay, so what is my job? Are you really asking me that? Yeah. What is it we actually do here? We serve care, you child! And until you get that through your mildewed little brain and hit quota, MDR's hallway privileges are hereby revoked. So get your little ass back to your desk and stay there until you're told to move. Cobell didn't like that. It's uh, like, it's so weird seeing Cobell versus Selvig. It is so weird. But uh, again, you're here to serve Kier. Just clearly, as we saw in the beginning of this episode, and, and just every time she speaks, it is some kind of a quote from the handbook. Like, she is the most obsessed with the religion that is the Egan religion, the Kier Egan religion. Uh, by far, it seems like. Uh, the most, like, extremist of, of the believers. And that's probably one of the reasons why she's in her position at all. Uh, but while that's happening, cut back to uh, Dylan uh, and Heli. Dylan's talking about uh, the baby goats and uh, and talking about uh, Heli and Mark's little walk, their wellness walk, uh, and how he thinks that maybe baby goats is code for sex. Uh, that Heli did Heli and uh, Mark have sex, and uh, of course Heli laughs that off. Uh, like somebody, of course Heli is like just barely even opening up in any way, let alone. Uh, in a sexual way uh, and and Mark and Dylan talking about how you know there's all this love in the air you got you got Irving and Bert fraternizing you got potentially Mark and Heli fraternizing at least in the eyes of Dylan and Dylan's like you know trying to talk like he's got this connection with Miss Casey and that he like wore his specific shirt for Miss Casey even though Heli points out that like oh so you're Audi who doesn't know that Miss Casey even exists, put that shirt on for her. And, and, and uh, Dylan, in his many, like, fantasyful assumptions about the reality of things, 
uh, said that it would transcend. It would transcend. Uh, so Mark comes back. He's angry. He lets everybody know that Casey is in the break room. Miss Casey's in the break room. And that there, there's no more hallway privileges, uh, no more integrating or interdepartmental integration or whatever he says to Bert uh, or, or Irving. Irving is upset. Irving's sorry. He's like, he feels like it's all his fault because he's been the one pushing to go. He's been the one out of the department probably the most with his little love affair with Dylan or with, uh, with Bert. But also Dylan's been out of the department. Mark and Helly went out. I mean, they're all have been going out of the department. Uh, but Irving, especially since Irving is such a stickler for the rules, uh, is really apologetic and really feels really sorry about it. Uh, but there's no more hallway until their quota, because that is the only reason they're there, is to complete the quota uh, and to meet the quota. Um, but just as that being said, Mark is like, let's go. <laughs> like, Mark, on one hand, is angry. He's disseminating the, the corporate message of, like, we're not allowed to do this shit anymore. But also he's like, you can't tell me what to do because I've been reading Rickon's book, and that's been empowering me to realize that you need me more than I need you. And we're like, we need to figure out what this stuff is, and we need to do it now. So he's like, let's go to O&D right now. So there's this great slow-mo scene of MDR walking through the hallways uh, to go to O&D. Cut to Cobell and Milchik in the office watching the monitors, watching MDR walking to O&D, seeing Mark instantly, instantly go against Cobell's orders. They arrive, Bert welcomes them, introduces them all to the, the many people who are in the back room of O&D. You know, offers it up if anybody has questions. One of the O&D people asks uh, what micro data refinement even is. And of course, they don't know. Uh, Irving notices a, a thing that she's holding. She's holding like a, a watering pot and uh, asks if that's what it is. And, you know, they, they are in very much a similar way. They don't know why they are making. Uh, Bert has a theory that they're making things for the people upstairs. Uh, and somebody else mentions that it's a lot less aggressive than the things that they were making last week, uh, which obviously we heard of the clubs that were being made. But also apparently they were making hatchets as well, which is disturbing. And, uh, of course, uh, they, Mark mentions the baby goats and uh, kind of gives a rousing speech of why they should all work together. Let's play that clip. Maybe we should work together on this. Together? Doing what exactly? Finding out why there are goats. Finding out how big this place is, or how many of us there are. I mean, why won't they tell us what we're doing here? What are they so afraid of? 
If the Egan philosophy is illumination above all... Illumination beyond all, but yes. Then why doesn't that include us? Why are we down here still working in the dark? That was poetic as shit, man. Thanks. <clears throat> so Bert instantly agrees, which Irving's a little surprised with, uh, but shouldn't really be because that seems to be uh, on brand for, for Bert. Uh, meanwhile, Dylan is kind of exploring around, finds a cart full of these like index cards that have uh, these like illustrations on them of people that are potentially doing like fight maneuvers like really basic fight maneuver kind of little index cards. And he decides to swipe one of those, put it in his back pocket. And just as that all happens, Milchik walks through the door. Everybody is stunned. Milchik walks everybody from MDR back to their department. And of course, Cobell is waiting for them in the department. And as they walk in, she begins to sing. Keer, chosen one, Keer. Keer, brilliant one, Keer. Brings the bounty to the plain, through the torment, through the rains. Progress, knowledge, show no fear. Keer, chosen one, so obviously Cobell not very happy with Mark's instantaneous uh, free range roaming around uh, and uh, once again tells him, you know, the quota is all that's important. Uh, and Grainer comes in, takes Mark, obviously taking Mark to the break room. Uh, the dark hallway that is the break room. I don't know who's in the break room uh, because, you know, maybe Milchik will be joining him later. Uh, but on the dark hallway, walk into the break room. Uh, you see Miss Casey leaving the break room. Um, and as they kind of pass by each other in that tight little hallway, uh, Mark says he's sorry. Cut to... You see Mark's Audi, his hand is bruised up, his knuckles are bruised up. He's on a date with Alexa, and uh, he tells her at least the story that he was told is that his knuckles got beat up trying to replace uh, a water jug for a water cooler, which obviously doesn't really make sense, but what are you going to do? I'm assuming he punches a wall that we don't see. Out of anger, we never see it, though, so we don't really know what happened. Uh, they, they start talking about, obviously, Alexa was the midwife for Mark's sister, Devin. Uh, apparently, the baby has been having issues latching uh, for the milking purposes, for the feeding purposes. Uh, and she is uh, currently looking for lactation specialists. They're kind of catching up with that whole situation. She asks Mark if he ever thought of having kids with his 
late wife, and Mark said that there was a time where they tried. They even considered adoption at one point. Um, but that, uh, you know, you have a life, you're given a life, and sometimes you want to add another life to that, but you're not able to add that life, but you still have your life, and you should take that life and live it to its ex fullest extent, which is apparently a thing that Mark's late wife would say to him. Uh, he describes her as being very pragmatic, always having a plan B. And then catches himself talking to his date about his late wife, and she's very open about it. She's like, it's healthy. It's okay. I'm sure she knows that Mark, especially being severed, doesn't really have much opportunity to talk about his late wife uh, and probably knows from talking to his sister that, you know, why he joins severed severance and uh, probably knows that he's, he's running away from the situation on some level. Cut to uh, Devin is doing a little research. She's researching the, the lady that was her neighbor at the birthing retreat, uh, looking up her profile on a social media account. Her name is uh, Gabriella Arteta. And her husband is Angelo, who we find out as you read the screen as she's doing her research. Uh, Angelo is a state senator. He's pro-severance. Uh, his campaign's probably funded by uh, the people, Severance, the, which I, I, I assume Lumen is the creator of Severance. Um, but he is pro-Severance and has been running uh, to push that uh, for two years. So he's part of the battle, the, the p political battle that is Lumen, that is Severance. And one of the articles which adds to my theory that the department, the severed department inside Lumen isn't the only application of that technology is that there is an article that's written that makes it sound like Lumen is only one of many, of multiple, but not only the, the sole user of the severed technology. That, that, that technology is being used in other ways by other companies, potentially, at least the way one of the articles is written. And just as Devin is looking this stuff up, going through, we get uh, interrupted by the new potential lactation specialist. None other than Mark's neighbor himself, herself, Selvig, walks in wearing scrubs, offers them some free uh, nipple butter, to help with chafing, Rickon uh, makes sure she knows that she's just in consideration. She hasn't necessarily gotten the job yet, but as the baby starts to cry, Selvig, in a very unlike her her any self, which she doesn't, I, she's not severed, but versus the Cobell version of her, the Selvig version is very compassionate, very loving aside from drilling into Petey's head to get the chip. And with that compassionate nature, takes the baby and is effortlessly calms the baby down, which I'm sure is a good 
uh, good interview, you know, good way to to get the job, as it were, uh, f- to be the lactation specialist uh, for Devin and Rickon, which is crazy. It is crazy. Uh, cut to Dylan. Dylan's Audi is awakened. We see the visual effect of him. He's sitting in a closet when he's awakened, and he's, like, looking, sitting down. He's looking around at, like, the clothes in his closet. And then right in front of him is Milchik. And Milchik is trying to find out what Dylan did with that, uh, what did they call it, Uh, ideograph card. Right? uh, Yeah, ideograph card is what he called it. So he's asking what Dylan did with the ideograph card. Did you smuggle it out? What did you do? Which, that question, did you smuggle it out, in my opinion, would mean that you may not be able to smuggle out things with words on them. The detectors detect words. However, according to Milchik, it's possible to smuggle out images because they were just little illustrations. Right, like something you would see on one of those emergency pamphlets in an airplane. No words on it. Just basic illustrations. So that little clue to like, okay, there's a way to pass information out, to smuggle. Pictures can be smuggled out. Or at least this card was it could, could be able to. Uh, but that's not what happened. Dylan lets him know, well... His kid walks in. You see a kid outside sitting in front of a TV counting like they're about to play hide-and-seek. And the kid comes into the closet. Milchik grabs the kid. And he's like, I told you to count to 1,000 before you came in here, which is ridiculous. No kid's going to count to 1,000. But Dylan, Dylan's innie, who's been awoken outside, which we find out that that's possible as well, that Dylan's innie was awakened outside of Lumen and he saw his closet, saw his clothes, and saw his kid, which he assumes is his kid, which obviously is his kid. But that's how important it was for Milchik to find out what happened to that, which is a big thing because that's, that's revealing a lot of stuff to Dylan. That's revealing... They can be woken up outside of Lumen. It's not just the elevator uh, or going outside of the, like, in the, in the uh, hallway or whatever. But also implying that you can sneak out illustrations. But Dylan tells him that uh, the card is, he hid it inside one of the bathroom stalls. And, uh... Milchik gets on his phone and tells him to somebody inside Lumen flips a switch and Dylan Dylan's Audi takes hold, takes in charge and he grabs his kid. And he's like, are we done here? So clearly Dylan's Audi had to have known. I mean, I'm sure Milchik showed up at his door and Dylan knew it's like, OK, this is somebody from Lumen. And he used whatever excuse is like, I need to talk to your innie right now. We need to go to your your closet, put your kid in front of the TV, have him count to a thousand. 
Join Inspired Disorder Plus today. Head on over to inspireddisorder.com slash plus to join. Membership includes members-only discounts and deals. You get access to the Ray Taylor Show completely ad-free, as well as bonus episodes. You get access to the complete live painting archive. You also get access to every single podcast ever produced by Inspired Disorder, hosted by Ray Taylor. You get access to Ray Taylor's personal blog, as well as the opportunity to ask me any questions. So if you want to start a podcast, you're into art, ask me anything. And so many more things are being added every day to Inspire Disorder Plus. So sign up today, become a member, head on over to inspiredisorder.com slash plus and become an Inspire Disorder Plus member today. So kind of a big scene. Now cut to Mark is after his date with Alexa. They're outside of the bar or the restaurant, wherever they were at. Uh, and he sees a poster on one of the walls and he notices uh, June, Petey's daughter plays the guitar, uh, is part of a band, and they have a show going on that night. And he asks Alexa if she wants to go. He's like, we can go if it sucks or whatever. So they go. They go down this alley. It's like an alleyway show, uh, punk rock song, a- anti-lumen song. Here's a little taste of that. So Mark, getting into the song, definitely his Audi is waking up to the fact, obviously, Petey was starting to wake uh, Audi's, Mark's Audi up to the fact that there's some things going on with Lumen, changing his opinion on Lumen, definitely becoming more open to finding out what's going on, similarly to his Innie. So there's some synergy there between Mark's Innie and Audi. Uh, After the show... Uh, he sees June and, and tells her that he likes the song uh, and says that uh, he thinks that Petey would have liked it as well, uh, which she doesn't believe. She's like, how would you know? How would you know? You didn't know him. You knew him inside. You didn't know him outside. Obviously, he did get to know him a little bit on the outside. Uh, but then, Mark, the fight breaks out. Mark and uh, Alexa decide to leave, and uh, as as they're leaving, Mark, uh, or after they leave, Mark goes to kind of explain Petey to Alexa. Alexa stops him and gives him a kiss. Uh, so, you know, nice little end to their date there. Cut to Grainer knocking on the door of Selvig. Selvig opened the door, still wearing her scrubs. Grainer not doesn't understand what she's doing. He's like, what are you wearing? She's like, I'm doing a, a special uh, investigation, private research. Uh, Grainer tells her that uh, this person, uh, Rigabi, uh, is most likely held up at the Gans College. Uh, one of the, the cops there said that there's somebody holed up there. I guess the college is is shut down for some reason. Maybe the college shut down, and that is why Mark got a job at Lumen. I don't really know what happened with that college, but anyway, Rigabi at the college got the tip from the cop. Um, Grainer mentions that the installation is going on that night, 
which we find out later what that means. And he asks Cobell, or asks uh, Selvig, I guess, uh, if she wants to go with him to the Gans College to see Rigabi. Uh, and of course she says no, but, you know, to, to let her know. And she's like, this is all, this all could have been handled over the phone. Why did you come to my door? Maybe there was at one point a relationship between them. She called him daddy in the last episode. He knows where she lives, which isn't that, that weird. But she's kind of off put by the fact that he's there, that this could have been, which it could have been a phone call. She, he didn't have to show up. But Selvig doesn't want to go. Cut to Mark wakes up in his bed, laying next to him, Alexa. So it went farther than just a kiss. Mark got, got, a, got a little extracurricular activity, Mark's Audi. But he wakes up, he goes out to the garbage can that he threw away the phone, digs out the phone, digs out the battery, puts the battery in the phone. Immediately the phone rings, as it had been ringing nonstop. Probably one of the reasons why he decided to get rid of it. But he's, he's realizing not only is he waking up to the fact that Lumen, probably bad, wanting to find out what's going on, but he's also getting some support from Alexa. Like, she's clearly on his side with this, you know, she's probably supportive of him finding out what's going on. So he answers the phone, and I assume it's Rigabi on the other end. And he asks, he wants to know what, what's going on. They know, the person on the other end of the phone knows Mark's full name. But Mark just wants to understand what's going on. The person on the other end of the phone, I'm assuming Rigabi, uh, asks if he wants to meet now. So Mark obviously is going to go meet with this person, cut to back at Lumen. The installation is happening. We're seeing an installation of a new doors to the MDR department, little key card doors, which will mean that the people in MDR will not be able to leave MDR anymore. They are becoming less free. They are becoming uh, caged rats no longer free to roam around the maze. Cut to outside of the Gans school. You see Mark show up, and you s it seems as though Grainer is right behind them. Obviously, Grainer was going to be going to the school as well. And it seems as though as Mark walks down the stairs, there is another shadowy person right behind him. I assume it's Grainer. Uh, Mark meets Rigabi in the hallway uh, and tells her that he used to teach there. Obviously, we know that Mark was a former teacher, as was his l late wife. And uh, Rigabi knows that Mark used to teach there. They hear a noise. Rigabi says, let's go, and they leave. And that is where the episode ends. So Mark is at the school looking to find out more of what's going on hot on his heels is Grainer who he doesn't know who Grainer is so he wouldn't be able to recognize him obviously Grainer will know that it's Mark and uh, I assume Grainer knows who Rigabi is maybe Rigabi was no because they usually don't change their names because there was another character that was there 
that said goodbye that actually did a video unlike Petey when they left Severed. Um, so I don't think that was Rigabi. Uh, but anyway, that is where it ends. Some big, interesting stuff in this episode. You see Mark, Mark's Innie, and Audi being more active with trying to find out what's going on. Mark's Innie becoming more of a leader, rallying the troops, trying to get the different departments uh, to team up to find out what's going on. Obviously, he's still reading Rickon's book on the inside. We see that uh, it is possible for these people to be woken up to have their innies woken up on the outside of Lumen. With Dylan, we saw that. We also see that there's a potential for them to smuggle out images, illustrations, instead of just text. Can't smuggle text out, but apparently you can smuggle. It's possible to smuggle these cards out, uh, these illustrations out. Uh, still don't know what the goats are, obviously. MDR or O&D, don't, they don't really know what they're making. Sometimes they're making weapons. They're making instructional cards for fighting. There might be a situation where there is another department if I had to just throw out guesses, right? They know there's more departments. Petey mentioned a department that's there, there all the time. They never are on the other side. They're 100% in ease, which actually may be... Maybe like people like Cobell and Milchik and Grainer are the people that are 100% on the any, and if they were able to do anything, they would just be shut off. And then they would be all of everything they know would be erased. That might be, or there's just another department where people are innies 24-7. Uh, but also, potentially, Lumen is making these things, these training materials, these weapons for a department to potentially do another coup. Because we've seen the images altered already. That potentially a coup has happened before. Obviously, Lumen likes to manipulate people with their propaganda. It's always a potential. Who knows what their experiments are that Lumen's doing on these people because none of them really know what the purpose is for their jobs. It's all very interesting. It's like a simulation for work, maybe proof of concept to get more of this stuff. Who knows? Who knows? You have Devin with her situation and my hypothesis, my idea that maybe Severance that severance technology is used in ways other than just the work-life balance that maybe certain people of influence and power can use them to just not withstand. Maybe, maybe they're selling it as a alternative to, uh, an, you know, anesthesia or, you know, going under for surgeries, right? Why give yourself drugs when you can just have a different version of yourself experience the immense pain or you could application so not only work work-life balance seems like a good way to proof of concept the idea right pregnancy or just childbirth in general but even like if you're somebody who's rich and wealthy and you don't like the dis discomfort of being pregnant at all 
and you just want to fast forward and not even have to experience pregnancy, experience childbirth at all, you can have that procedure done. Maybe that's what happened to uh, Gabriella. But also think about in order to eliminate soldiers from coming back from war with PTSD, right? To ensure national security. You have soldiers implanted with the severed thing, and when they go off to war, they're, or when they, when, when they get recruited, they're switched over. So their Audi is never privy to the training, never privy to the information that they learn. They're not dealing with the trauma of being in combat or being a part of combat. Uh, and when they are discharged, they are flipped out. There are a lot of different ways in which the severed technology could be used. And it seems like by this episode, by little things that this episode is planted, that it may be being used for other things other than just Lumen. Which makes complete sense. I mean, if you're going to make a technology, you're making a technology that's going to be, you, that you want to be used for a many, as many different applications as possible. Which the ramifications of that on the other side for that version of yourself that is the any, if you're at work, you're at work forever, nonstop, 24-7, or not 24-7, but you're never asleep. You're at work always for, until you retire. For somebody who's using it for pregnancy, you're only ever, if you had multiple kids, you only ever exist as somebody who's pregnant and then ends as, like, you give birth, and then next thing you know, you're pregnant again. And then your whole life existence as any as that person is just to, or any medical procedure. Every time you're sick, every time you need a surgery, you become the any. So your any's experience is only for surgeries, pregnancies, just the worst aspects of life that you don't want to exist in. If it is for military use, which there's no indication of that other than, you know, possible the training materials that they're making there. If that is another potential use for severance, then your only existence is combat. I mean, maybe not combat because you would be not always in combat. There'd be training, but it would still be like an existence of war. Your entire life is war. So in every innies existence is a different version of a hell which is scary it's like th that is the horror movie version of severance is what the reality would be like for all of the different innies who are experiencing all of the different versions of what this technology provides people so anyway that was episode six hide and seek uh, next week, episode seven, Defiant Jazz is next week. I'm looking forward to it. See you then. New episodes of The Ray Taylor Show come out every single day. Subscribe on YouTube and everywhere our podcasts are found. Binge the full week over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. Buy Ray Taylor Show merch over at InspiredDisorder.com. 
and follow the show on Instagram at Ray Taylor Show. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Peace. Ouch! Today is the day where you wake up and you realize that everything that you've been dreaming about, everything that you've been wanting, every goal and wish and hope that you've ever had can become real. Dreams can come true. What you manifest in your mind, you can bring to reality.